so good to be with you, and well, amen. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25 this morning as we continue our series, Purify, this, this idea that um, we cannot love the world and also yet claim that we have love for Christ. And so we are taking time to ask God to purify us. Uh, we talked last week about purifying our affections and First John chapter 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. The things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, these things are not from the Father but from the world. And the things of the world and its desires are passing away, but he who does the will of the Father endures forever. Our heart affections to be purified. And today we sort of follow up on that with if we ask God to purify us of affections that would be towards the world, to make them towards him, how do we have victory over the flesh. And so today we look at what does it mean to purify our actions. Again, uh, this passage that we're going to read here in just a second from Galatians begins with the fact that the flesh, which is another way of saying the world, but in this way our flesh, the, the unredeemed part of us, the, the humanness that still remains until we go to be with God in heaven, Beulah land as we sang a little while ago, there is this tension between the spirit of God in us and the flesh that remains. There is conflict. And so how do we have victory within the context of that conflict? And so let's read Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. It says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do or practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. See, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Today, as was mentioned a couple of times, is Super Bowl Sunday. And so it is a matter of conflict on the gridiron. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, just by quick show of hands, are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? 
Okay, there's an East Texas bias maybe for that quarterback. And then how many would be willing after that show of hands to say the 49ers, EJ and a couple others scattered around. How many of you are only showing up for the commercials? And then, to be honest, how many of you do not care about this game at all? And there's a fair amount of those as well. See, every, every Super Bowl is a match of conflict, and there's many levels of conflict. You have, obviously, the, the two teams, the 49ers and the Chiefs. They will be in conflict for victory. You have, even amongst the commercials... There will be conflict because I can almost make a prediction. I'm not claiming to be Nostradamus here, but I'm just saying that tomorrow or this evening, as you talk with people about the commercials, someone will say there were a few funny ones, and then someone over 40 who lived through the 90s Super Bowls will say, but they're just not as funny as they used to be. There's going to be conflict over that. There's actually going to be conflict because there is a commercial conflict that uh, the, the family behind Hobby Lobby is putting forward. Um, he gets us. You maybe have seen some of these commercials. It's, it's about why Jesus um, gets us and connects with us and why he's worthy of worship and it leads to a website. And there will be conflict over that. There will be some that will say, wow, that's really cool that Jesus got a 30-second you know, highlight in a global audience. And then there will be others who will say if they really cared about people, they would take that $7 million for that 30-second clip and they will give it to a charity or a mission, et cetera. And there will be others that are just like Jesus has no place on TV. Except, look, there's conflict. There's going to be conflict. Uh, Richard mentioned it um, over how many times a certain pop star is shown in cutaways. It will be not enough for some, and for others it will be one too many. There's just conflict. Um, there are certain people, I hope nobody in here, that will have very much conflict and interest in things like how long the national anthem is sung for, whether around 90 seconds plus or just under. People make bets on things like that. What color the Gatorade might be that is doused on the winning coach and whether there is a proposal on the field after the game, things like that. There's also a young man, um, regardless of the team that you root for, Brock Purdy, the quarterback of the 49ers, who is a professing Christian. From what I've seen, it seems to be a legitimate uh, confession of faith. Um, and he says that he reads Psalm 23 every day uh, to center himself, and he doesn't pray things like, Lord, help us win this game. He just prays, God, be, let me have your presence. Give me steadiness in this moment, things like that. So, look, there's conflict all over the map. But there is conflict every day in the lives of believers because we have the Spirit of God within us, and yet we have our mortal flesh. And there is conflict every day with greater consequence than any Super Bowl. And so if we are to be purified before God, what last week we first looked at purifying our affections, next we ask him to purify our actions. So how does a Christian have victory over the flesh? Number one, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. This seems very basic. This may seem like a yeah, duh, but Paul also writing to a church filled with people who were making this wrestling match between the Spirit of God and the flesh, says simply, I tell you, walk 
in the Spirit. If you are walking in the Spirit, you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. It is as simple on many levels as that. Walk in the Spirit and you will not walk in the flesh. And he says, look, these things are opposed to each other. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And it causes us not to do what we know we should or what we want to do. Um, it, it sort of reminds me of this idea of who will we let lead us. In, in the outline here, the insight, if you want to walk in the spirit, we yield to the Holy Spirit and follow his lead. It's, it's yielding to the Holy Spirit. Look, I know we're a Baptist church, but we cannot get away from the fact that it is clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. And when you and I confess our sin, the Scripture is clear that when we confess sin and trust Christ for salvation, we are then sealed with the Holy Spirit. The same power that resurrects Christ from the dead now lives in us. And yet, over and over, and I'm as guilty as the next, we fight for control of our own life from that Holy Spirit, part of the triune God that lives within us. Um, I was talking with someone last week, and they were sort of asking follow-up questions. Well, how do I have victory over the flesh? And I said, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, it's the whoa, whoa, whoa factor. It means when you start to get up to the precipice of sin, the Holy Spirit in you is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you have a moment to yield and to turn away and deny gratifying the flesh or to say, get out of the way, I'm doing what I want to do. If we want to have victory over the flesh and we want to live purified lives with purified actions, we must yield. We must yield to the Holy Spirit. And so what are the outcomes that are a part of this? Number two in your outline is do not gratify the works of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit means do not gratify the works of the flesh. And then Paul goes and gives a fairly lengthy list of about 15 sins of the flesh or works of the flesh. Notice this word works. It is something that we produce. <laughs> it is the flesh producing these 15 things. Now hear me. These 15 things is not an exhaustive list. If your main sin you don't see in that list, it does not get you off the hook. Because Paul at the end says, and things like these. <laughs> He's basically saying, here's 15 off the top of my head that I know that the church I'm writing to is tempted by, has come out of, is struggling with, is in the face of the culture. Here are 15 things. And if I could just briefly categorize these into three broad categories, it would be this. Paul lists those that would fall under sexual sin. Um, the word here is the Greek word pornea, is out of the first one out of the gate, which you can obviously tell leads to our English word for pornography. Pornea really is a catch-all for any type of sexual sin that is outside of God's intended 
design, which we talked about last week, is husband, wife, in marriage, that's the list. He says anything outside of that is pornea, that is sexual sin. He says impurity, that word impurity really has the idea of like a oozing open wound. These things in sexual sin, I mean, there are those that would tell us in our culture that sexual freedom is the key to happiness. And ladies and gentlemen, over and over it leaves people with open wounds, sexual impurity. And, and the list could go on and on. So there's sexual sin that are the works of the flesh. Secondly, there are idolatrous sins, things like witchcraft, idolatry, sorcery, however yours puts it in here. And obviously idolatry is a, is a huge a huge sin. Anytime we place something above our relationship with God, with Christ, that becomes an idol to us. Now, Paul's writing to a group of people that had a culture that actually had um, physical idols that they would go and worship. And typically, worshiping those idols involved sexual sin. There was sort of this break between the idea that. Um, I can be married and go um, have uh, sexual participation with a temple prostitute and that doesn't break my marriage vow. That's an act of worship. And so it all gets mixed up. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we may not have temples with physical carved items, but we have sexual idols all over the landscape of our world and particularly in our country. And people are engaging in it every day and they leave wounded and broken and empty. And that's our reality. This word for witchcraft is actually fairly interesting because there was, or sorcery, the, the word that comes from that is actually uh, the root of pharma or pharmacy. And I, we've got a couple of pharmacists in here and I'm not saying that you need to quit your job tomorrow, but what it is saying is this, is that Mind-altering drugs were a part of witchcraft and sorcery. And how much so do we now both have those who are in Wiccan covens and also those who worship at the altar of mind-altering, debilitating drugs? It is a work of the flesh. It leads to destruction so there's sexual sin, there's idolatrous sin. And then thirdly, the balance of that list is really about relational sin. The way in which we act and the works of our life that come from the flesh that bring division and hurt between us and other people. Between us and our family, between us and our friends, between us and our coworkers, between us and other believers in the church. There's a reason that over and over in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament, taking a cue from Jesus in the garden, who said, it is by your love for one another the world will know that you're my disciples. And so over and over in the New Testament, the writers are inspired by God to write to churches, protect the unity of the church, don't let a bitter root grow up among you, forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, bring, um, if you see another one sinning, go and rebuke them, 
The works of the flesh bring destruction and rot. And these relational sins come from things like outbursts of anger that bring destruction. And don't, don't fall into the world's trap of saying, that's just me. I just speak bluntly. Because when we get to the fruit of the Spirit, it, there's no, there's no uh, caveat for that. There's envy and divisiveness on this list and enmity and jealousy. Those things that bring division. I'm not saying this is a part of the choir, but if there were those in the choir who felt jealous over those that sang a solo, well, I could do it better. That is a divisive work of the flesh. When we get angry with someone, but we don't have enough respect for them to go and work it out, but we go and gossip and go, you know, so-and-so down at the church did this and this. Well, have you talked to him? No, I'm talking to you about it. It's division and divisiveness, and the works of the flesh bring destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I am pleading with you. These works of the flesh, we see them in our own lives. We see them in the world around us. And it sometimes feels like we're taking crazy pills because people are championing these very things as honorable and as virtuous, and yet they always lead to division and brokenness and destruction. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Walk in the Spirit so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As I look at this list that Paul lays out, I, I, I can imagine him even weeping as he writes because he knows how destructive these things are. He's also writing to a group of people who that's what they used to do. It's who they used to be. And so part of his tears may be thinking, this is what you used to be, but because of Christ, you are no longer one of these. I think about a story I was watching this week um, about a guy who was, had gone for the world record. I mean, you know, people will spend their time on anything, but the world record on building the tallest Eiffel Tower out of matchsticks. He worked for over eight years to build this tower. Ended up being 23.6 feet tall. It consumed 700,000 plus matchsticks. Um, it happened in Europe, so I, I don't even know the, 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 what the ratio is here. But it's like 23 kilos of glue. I'm assuming that's a lot, right? I, I don't know all that conversion rate theory. But eight years, and he goes and he's presented the Eiffel Tower as the tallest for the world record, they examine it and they say, yes, it is the tallest. And then they say, but you used the wrong matches, so it's disqualified. So many people in our world are seeking to build something that they think is great 
And it is disqualified because it is the works of the flesh, not based on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in full disclosure, I love that illustration. The problem is, is when I looked up a couple things this morning, is that they had overturned that ruling. And now it is. So there's no spirit. Like, I don't have like a secondary. I already planned it the way it was. But can you imagine being that guy eight years, thinking you had done everything, and then for it to not count? Brothers and sisters, what Paul writes at the end of this list, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The warning is clear. Those who practice. We're not talking about you did this one time or you know, two times a year you have a, you know, envy creep up. It's talking about a way of life that practices it over and over and over where if you were to take this list even and place it over the course of your life, would there be a change since coming to Christ or does it look the same, still practicing and functioning in the works of the flesh? Paul says, I warn you and I've warned you before, those who do and practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm standing here, just like Paul writing this, just like last week John writing to the letter that he wrote, it is out of love, not to condemn that we say this today. The message is simply don't build your life on something that will be disqualified, the works of the flesh. Which brings us to the third point this morning, which is, to walk in the Spirit is to deny the works of the flesh. But three, it is to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. To cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Know this, Jesus said, people often tell, uh, try to twist what Jesus says. And they say, hey, even Jesus said, don't judge people. Well, there's, as for another sermon, the specific context in which he was given. But what Jesus also said was, you want to know what type of tree a tree is? Judge it by its fruit. And he says, you look at the lives of other people, how do you know whether they're a God follower, a Christ follower or not? Look at the fruit. In, in this passage, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting because fruit is um, it's not fruits with an S, plural, of the Spirit. It is fruit. It is singular. There were works, plural, things that we produce, works, plural, 15 in a list. And then Paul says, but walking in the Spirit, you will produce fruit. Meaning all of this fruit is really one expression of the Holy Spirit walking in the Spirit of someone's life. Here are, again, three general categories that you could sort of classify these in. Number one, it is fruit for the mind. Fruit for the mind. You have love, joy, and peace. Those things that come out of us that start in the mind. Love. Love is not a feeling. It is a choice. 
And so we choose to love those who are our enemies. We choose to love those who will bring nothing back to us. We choose to love those who even spit in the face of God because we ourselves used to be as such. And we choose to love. It's a fruit of the Spirit that we love people. It's a fruit of the Spirit that we have peace and joy. Those things which surpass circumstance, which surpass understanding. For many of you in this room, you could give testimony after testimony, if I were to just pass a microphone around, of times where God gave you peace, the fruit of peace or the fruit of joy when everyone around you would have said, I don't understand, your circumstances are falling apart, There's a, there was a diagnosis, there was a financial shortfall, there was sin done against you, and yet there was fruit in your life that sprang up, joy and peace and love. It's a spiritual fruit of walking in the Spirit. The second sort of category is fruit for relationships. You have um, patience, kindness, and goodness. Those things in which we relate to other people most often where we need patience. There's the, you know, the, the little church inside joke of when bad things are happening, someone will ask, hey, who was praying for patience? Right? There's a fruit of the Spirit that wells up within us that brings patience with others. Gentleness with others, kindness with others. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a scenario where I've seen believers who responded with kindness and gentleness when all they were receiving was attack and slander and all of those things, and yet because of the Spirit in them, they were able to respond Differently, not in outbursts of anger, not in jealousies, not in carousing and raucous behavior, but in kindness and gentleness. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a fruit of the Spirit, not just a good person. See, there is no one who is good, but the fruit bears within us. The third category is fruit for behavior. There is faithfulness and gentleness self-control. That last one, I think he ended on that last one to just let it hang there. Self-control. How much of the list of the works of the flesh would be turned on its head if the fruit of self-control was in the life of a believer? There'd be a lot less times we wish we hadn't said something that we said. We sometimes say things like, I just don't have a filter. Well, pray that God would allow that fruit of the filter of self-control to come forward. That there are many times that we've done something, acted impulsively, and it has cost us or it's cost a relationship. And oh, how we wish we would have had self-control. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. An action of faithfulness, that we would be faithful to Christ, we'd be faithful to our family, we'd be faithful to our word. That when people hear us say we're going to do something as believers, they know it will be done. It is a fruit of the Spirit. You'll know them by their fruits. Um, several years ago I was in um, 
uh, on a mission trip with our students. And I, I, I think it was uh, Costa Rica. It was one of those Central American countries or South American, not a geography major. And we were there, and I remember we were staying at this church and, you know, sort of air mattresses. And it's um, like I was inside a room sleeping, but the, the room only had three walls. It was just sort of open on the, on the other wall. And so you're sort of just air breezing in and all that kind of stuff. And I remember it was, a, it was a church and it had a metal roof and we were in these rooms sleeping. And in the middle of the night, we just, I mean, I thought that it was bombs dropping out of the sky. It was like, boom. I mean, just randomly, boom. And then like a wah, 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 wah. And I'm just going, what is going on? I mean, you're in a different country. You know, I'm responsible for these students. I'm going, I don't know what is going on. And so you're sort of sleeping. You go, okay, I don't know what that was. I'm going to go back to sleep. Boom. Wah, 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 wah. What was happening, come to find out, is there were huge mango trees hanging over the place that we were staying. And just over and over, those mangoes were letting loose and bombing the roof and then rolling down. And after that first night, you know, once you know what it is, you know what type of fruit it is. But the first night when we didn't know what it was, we woke up and we had all these mangoes for breakfast. <laughs> You'll know them by their fruit. May our fruit of the Spirit be so loud in the way that we talk and act and think and live that the world around us is curious, what was that? But then they will know us by our fruit. And lastly, the number four, how do we have victory over the flesh? We walk in the spirit, we deny the works of the flesh, we cultivate the fruit of the spirit. But here is so important, we embrace, here's some fancy words for you, daily mortification and vivification. Here's what I mean. These are sort of theological terms in case you read it somewhere. Mortification, crucifying the flesh or death by means of prayer, repentance, and commitment. In this passage, at the very end of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucify the flesh. Every day we have to start with a funeral, with the killing of our own fleshly desires. And how do we do that? By prayer. By prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to give us strength for the day. Asking the Holy Spirit to keep us from areas of temptation. Asking the Holy Spirit for opportunities for works of the fruit in our life to become evident. It also comes through repentance. We must repent. We, we must own those things that you and I do wrong, which the Bible calls sin. We must own it. We have to say, God, I have sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Not for salvation for the believer, but because we want a healthy relationship with the Father. 
And we need to own it. I, it is not healthy for Christians to just sweep our sin under the rug and just say, oh, I made an oopsie. No, we sinned before a holy God. Mortification means crucifying the flesh, owning our sin, asking the Holy Spirit, like, like David in the Psalms, create in me a clean heart, O God. Starts with mortification. We start every day with a funeral, I heard a theologian say, and a coronation. Vivification, receiving life. That word vivi at the beginning is from life. Receiving life by God's daily grace with prayer, truth, and commitment. When we talk about our mission statement, awakening people from death to life in Christ, there is more than just salvation. Life in Christ is a daily grace that God gives us through prayer and through truth, through understanding truth, whether that's reading the word, listening to the word, listening to, you know, uplifting godly music or having biblical conversations or theologically accurate conversations or being in a life group to make sure you're understanding what God's word says and not putting your own personal twist or rationale or rationalization on it, but to say, I want truth with prayer and with truth and both require a daily commitment. The last verse in this, and I'm going to close, is this. He says, so if you've crucified the flesh, and then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. This is our sanctification process. Another big word, but the process of becoming more like Christ. We're going to look a little bit at this next week as we continue our series. But this idea that every day as we kill the flesh and as we receive life, the grace from God in what we might call vivification, we become more like him. It's keeping in step. I, I think about like at weddings. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing weddings now for, for a while uh, as a student pastor more sparingly and now a little bit more often. And there's that part where you walk down the aisle and as, you know, when I was a, a groom or a groomsman in other weddings, you know, you've got somebody and there's, you know, that like real step. Like, you know, every, there's a pace that you're supposed to walk. But when the preacher comes in, it's just sort of you don't have anybody there to help guide you. It's just kind of like, is this fast enough? No, that seems too slow. Like, it's super awkward. I don't, I, I've not figured that out. I'd rather just come from behind the wings and be like, here I am. But when you see people that are in step, whether that's in a wedding march where they are together and they have someone else to sort of look, am I in pace, or a military march or a marching band, like you see people in the beauty of when people are in unison, in lockstep, walking together. And that is the picture of sanctification, that we are not too far ahead, not lagging behind, but we are in step with the Holy Spirit. If you want to have victory over the flesh, walk in the Spirit, deny the cravings of the flesh, Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And then every day have a funeral and a coronation of Jesus as king in your life as we become more like Jesus. That's how we get purified. Amen.
I've gone a touch long, so I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. I pray that you have victory after victory in Christ this week. Father, thank you. Thank you for clear teaching. We don't have to wonder what, what things are good for us and which things lead to destruction, but God, because of your Holy Spirit, God, may we walk in the Spirit as believers. Give us victory over the flesh. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And may we be in step as individuals, as families, and as a church family. May we be in step with your Holy Spirit in holiness. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.